and welcome to another episode of Beyond Busy, the show where we talk productivity, work-life balance, and defining happiness and success. My name is Graham Alcott, I'm your host for the show, and on this episode I'm talking to Simon Woodruff, founder of Yo Sushi and original dragon on the TV show Dragon's Den. So I'm recording this in the Novotel in Wellington in New Zealand. Looking out the window, I can see uh, the skyline and some houses on the hill over there. Uh, lots of uh, big corporate and government buildings around here as well. I've just been, uh, right now, uh, just been running a workshop for uh, a bunch of people here. Uh, it seemed to go really well. I'm having a lot of fun. I've learned uh, the phrase Kiora which far from being a 1980s fruit drink, is actually uh, the Maori word for basically everything. So you can say kiora to say hello and goodbye and welcome and thank you. It kind of means like all of those things. Um, so kiora and hello and welcome to Beyond Busy. Uh, so I'm here on a bit of a book promotional tour and running some workshops. Uh, I did a keynote on Monday and then I've done workshops every day this week and it's now Thursday and in a few minutes about to go and get on a plane and fly to Nelson and do a Friday workshop in Nelson and then have the weekend in Nelson. So it's been a really busy week. I've been working really hard, fighting the jet lag, uh, doing that fairly well with my usual mix of Valium and melatonin and everything else. Uh, so things are good here. I'm going to be traveling through New Zealand all of next week as well and then on to Australia for a couple of weeks as well and then back into the UK into the cold uh, just before Christmas time. Um, so let's get first uh, straight into the interview with Simon Woodruff. Um, this was perhaps, of all the ones I've done, the one where the location and the setting best reflected and represented the person. So Simon Woodruff, uh, as you'll hear, very well renowned for his love of design and bringing design thinking into business. Um, obviously, if you've been in a Yo Sushi, you'll know what I mean by that. You know, the um, very um, high sense of design sensibility with, uh, with basically everything that he does. And we met on Simon's houseboat, which is, uh, I mean, houseboat sounds like a little canal boat. I mean, this is a really beautiful uh, large boat on uh, the Thames in Chelsea. Uh, absolutely, you know, beautiful interiors, very peaceful and serene and the perfect setting uh, for a conversation with a very, very interesting guy with Simon Woodruff. So you're going to hear about Dragon's Den, you're going to hear about his uh, journey through setting up Yo Sushi and some of the highs and lows of, of that particular business, and also what he's up to nowadays with Yo Home. There's also, in the second half of this, a very special additional guest, which I will keep secret, and you will have to listen on to find out more. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Simon Woodruff. <laughs> I think there's been two things that have been a ribbon that have gone through my life from a very young age. Um, one is boats and sailing, which my father taught me, and two is mountaineering, which I learned um, when I was at school. It's the only thing I really achieved out of school um, was learning to climb. So they've been two ribbons that have gone through my life, and I've sailed, um, you know, around, right around the Pacific and all my life, really, and I've climbed in lots of places. And when I was looking for a house in London um, 13 years ago now I've lived here on the Thames um, my daughter was at school in the Midlands and I had a house out there and another a little flat in Soho I used to commute up there as I brought her up and um, 
I really couldn't think of anywhere exciting to live in London. And then, <laughs> then I was um, I was doing a TV program with an agent who said does houseboats on the river, riverside properties, and they found this for me, and I said yeah. buy it. Wow. And um, they said, okay, well, when would you like to see it? And I said, no, just give them the asking price. <laughs> and I've got three, three boats here now. And so that's my home. And um, so I what, travel a lot, but that's my home. Yeah, and walking down here to meet you, I mean, you do get this little kind of uh, frisson as you get onto the, the sort of little walkways down there. It just kind of feels different and exciting. And was, was the idea for you to live somewhere that was just, you know, slightly different from living in a nice apartment or a nice house or something like that? Did you, was it the creativity that you wanted from that? No, I didn't really work it out. But I'll tell you what I do think about living here is that I always said that when I was older, I wanted to live on a commune because right. I hate the idea of sort of saying I'm going to have dinner with you next Wednesday because I might not feel like it next yeah. Wednesday. And then I realised I already live on a commune. So that's it. <laughs> that's great. Um, so um, tell me about your early years. So I, some of the research I did on you threw up quite an interesting... Uh, career path early on so you know working in the music business and working in big shows and stuff like that so tell me about how you got into that first of all um i left school with um with two two o levels in um at the end of the 60s and i really didn't know what to do and um my everybody says do something you love and i really couldn't think of anything to do with work that i loved other than um rock and roll so i went on the road i got a job as a roadie putting the lights up in the early days of rock and roll <laughs> and i did that and then um I, was, I got a big break because I'd worked in theatre for a while and Rod Stewart was one of our lighting customers early days and he wanted a big white stage and everybody ran around and said, how are we going to get Rod a big white stage? And I said, well, I know, I worked in theatre, I know all the scenery makers and I know where to get all that stuff together. And I became a, um, a stage designer, really. And I remember going, I remember going to dinner one, one night and... Um, so he says, what do you do for a living? And I said, oh, I'm a stage designer. So that's right. Okay. Right. And I did that through to the um, 1985, which was um, the year of Live Aid. And I remember getting to Live Aid and um, um, suddenly the music business had just grown up around about that time. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm sure it's a thought you've never had, but I remember thinking to myself, I've got to get out of this business before I get found out. <laughs> you know, so I got lost for the second time in my life. And right. then I went into the TV business selling rights to rock shows. And I did that for seven years and um, non-creative, but you know, I learned a lot about business. And then I got lost again, I got divorced and got lost again. And um, then I was sitting around and um, thinking of things to do and keeping a notebook and writing down all my ideas and feeling unemployable, certainly to work for anybody else. I never had done that. And um, I am. Um, uh, I was in a restaurant, famous story with a guy called Mr. Oahara, who I knew from the television business, Japanese man. And he said, "What you should do." I said, "What about sushi?" And he said, "What you should do, Simon, is a conveyor belt sushi bar with girls in black PVC miniskirts." That's what <laughs> right. we opened a few years later. So that was that was in a sense the sort of light bulb moment for Yo Sushi. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that was that was what happened. Um, and in terms of setting up that business. You know, I read a couple of things about you that you, I mean, you really staked everything on the line for that business. So you took out loans, your house was on the line, everything was on the line. Um, what was your mindset around risking everything and how were you able to, uh, you know, sleep at night knowing that everything was on the line? Um, well, I, I think what happens is with, with all these things is that you seduce yourself into it. Right. You know, it doesn't happen over, overnight. You say, I'm going to just put everything on the line. Um, 
but um, you get involved, you know, and what I always say to people when they're starting things off, you know, get a notebook out, start writing down ideas, don't think about whether you're going to do it, whether you're not going to do it, but just start immediately and start researching things yeah. and have three, four, five things on the go. I had lots of things on the go. I was going to make climbing, indoor climbing popular before I did Yosushi, <laughs> I had various different things. Um, and you know, after a while, you 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 start believing it. And you know, I opened your sushi because I wanted to see what it would look like. I was absolutely obsessed with it. Yeah. At, at the end of in, by the end of one year, um, you know, and I lived off very very little. I remember thinking, shall I break into a fiver? You know, I didn't go to dinner, I didn't have dates. You know, I just yeah. had to work day yeah. and night. And I was I, when I look back, I always think those were halcyon days. In fact, it took me two years to open your sushi. Um, but the, I planned to open it in one year, but you know, it took two years, and they were very enjoyable th years. And and I think you know, you talk about sort of the fear of risking everything, and the further I got in, the more I was just completely and utterly committed. It's like mm. being in a war or something. You are so completely committed yeah. Yeah. that you're going to do it anyway. Yeah. And you know, ninety percent of the time you believe it all. Five percent you quiver and 5% you're absolutely terrified but you know it's <laughs> worth it for the for the 90% absolutely um, I read and of course it. the thing about that is that when you really believe something and you are completely committed yeah. and you've got everything on the line then other people believe you yeah. and are willing to follow you because you're committed but if you're not committed why would somebody why would I follow somebody else's idea if, unless they are completely committed and they're going to hurt more than I will absolutely um, and you talked um, before I've heard you talk about I think it's on your blog you talk about learning from the worrying moments and using some of those uh, you know like you're so invested in the idea and committed to it you're sort of chasing that dream but then you, you know, that that little five percent that you talked about, where you're, where you worry about things, you can like kind of learn from the I idea. Know, I worry about, I worry about things far more than five percent. Right. You know, I think, you know, you want to be anxious about everything. You know, we, we're sort of brought up to think that uncomfortable feelings mm. in your body are not things you want to have. So yeah. you quickly yeah, step yeah. back into being as comfortable as possible. But actually, unless you've got great anxiety about doing stuff, I mean, you learn how to manage that, yeah. which you should do because you know what you're inner brain is telling you is look out for that that could Absolutely, go wrong yeah, that could go yeah. wrong and do you learn from great success not really you learn from you learn from failures or for things not working and one of the great lessons for me anyway is, well one you know it's a glib way of saying it but one of the great lessons is that successful people even today being me you don't go around succeeding all the time. You know, successful people fail. Mm, and so if that's absolutely. what successful people do, you, you have to be willing to do it and dust yourself off and yeah. but still retain your self-esteem without sort of going, oh God, I can't do anything at all that's going wrong, yeah. you know, which, you, you know, which isn't, isn't very good really. But you know, just dust yourself off, off and, and get up and do the next bit. Yeah, I read a story about you that was um, you got to a point with Yosushi where you uh, uh, had a venture capital injection in the business and they said to you, where do you want the money? And you said, oh, I haven't really thought about it. And you ended up putting it in your current account. Well, I did. And, I uh, did go. To, I did. I did. I, I hadn't believed it was going to happen. It was in the yeah. days when we had checkbooks and I gave my store code. <laughs> I put it in my current account and uh, that was the first amount of money I had, which was in millions. And... Um, and yeah, and I remember walking back, suddenly all these lawyers who had been sort of absolutely horrible turned into nice people. <laughs> and uh, they all, we all had to ask champagne. And then I walked back down Oxford Street and there was an ATM machine there. And they'd said, you know, the money will transfer into this 
current account of mine, it'll be in in 20 minutes. So I thought I'll have a look, just make sure, <laughs> you know. And I stood in the queue and I put my ATM number in and there, sure enough, was the money there. And I thought, well, this is a change of landscape. And I stood, I was, I stood there for so long looking at it. There was, there was a queue behind me. There's this bloke behind me. He was like, coughing and spluttering. You know, how long are you going to be now? And I turned around <laughs> to him and I said, excuse me, mate, cop a look at this. <laughs> you know? And I'll tell you what, if anybody... I can remember doing that. I can remember that moment. If anybody ever tells you money doesn't make you happy, they're lying. Yeah, so contrast that with the breaking into a fiver and the early days of living on a shoestring. How did it make you feel like at that moment? Because that's the moment where really your world changes in terms well, of well, the money. Well, you know, making the first time you make a bit of money, um, it was relief really because I'd had five or six years and, you know, mm. building businesses, everybody thought we were doing very well. But we had some glitches along the way. There are things, a lot of things that could have gone wrong. I often think that, you know, the sort of metaphor is I would have had to roll, um, you know, a four or more at least once, certainly right. three or more yeah. a couple of times. One of the things that really inspired me reading your story was that before you, so you talked just um, a few minutes ago just about the idea of getting lost and you said, you said in quite a blase, oh, you know, I got lost there and I got lost there and that's just really inspiring for me to hear that just that, uh, just to hear you describe it in that way. But you talked about um, that in a very uh, matter-of-fact way, as if, mm. which is, I think, going to be very inspiring to people in terms of the fact that you can get lost and then come back from that. And, That's you know, right, you can yeah. you can give a view from the other side. Well, not only did I get lost, um, I definitely suffered. For, I was in the hole, you know, I was mm. depressed, you know, so I was definitely down and depressed. Um, so for sure you can come back for that. Yeah, and I wanted to uh, ask I'm you not, about depression. I'm not, well, I'm, I don't mean it glibly that, um, you know, I just dusted myself off. You yeah. know, it's hard to get out yeah. of that when you're, when you're stuck there. But, you know, um, I think for me, if there's a good idea and something that turns me on, that's the thing that gets me going. Yeah. I, need, I, I love ideas and I love sort of getting into them and thinking things can be done differently. And, and we, it's the energy and enthusiasm yeah. that comes out of those developing those ideas that gets me going. And would you say that Yosushi, just the idea of that and then chasing that was the thing that got you out of that period of depression? Yeah, I certainly, I think so, yeah. I think mm. it did, yeah, I think it did. I think, I think there was a moment where I thought, right, that's it, you know, and I was thinking, oh, what can I do? I, I was going to, I went to live in Chamonix for about a year after my divorce. Um, I'm a climber and a skier. And um, I went to live down there, and I th- my, I'd inherited my father's old Vauxhall Astra, right. which he drove at about 10 miles an hour, so it was in quite good condition. But it was an old Vauxhall Astra, and I just lived down there, and I had a little flat, and I thought, I'll just live a simple life and go climbing for the rest of my life. Mm. And I was down there for about a year, a bit more than a year, and at the end of it, I thought, I can't do this. I have to have a mission in life. I could do a lot better. Um, I really need to have a purpose. And it was at that moment I said to hell with it, I'm coming back to London, I'm going to get going, I'm going to do something. And I think that was the moment. It was, you know, I think I probably did, you know, started Yo Sushi or was ready to start something out of some form of desperation. I was in my 40s, I thought time was going to run out unless yeah. I did it now. Um, I did do something. So there was a bit of throw caution to winds, I'm going to go for something. Tell me about Dragon's Den. So you were in the first series of Dragon's Den. Well, at, around about that time, soon after we opened Yo Sushi, I suppose we're talking, um, you know, about uh, 1997 I started Yo Sushi, so 98, 99. Entrepreneurs suddenly became very fashionable. Mm. And there was, um, there was a big programme, a three-part series called The Mind of a Millionaire. I wasn't a millionaire by then, but I got invited on it. I acted <laughs> like a millionaire. And I was about to become one. Um, 
uh, The Mind of a Millionaire, London's Richest, Best Restaurateurs, you know, the, all these TV programs about mm. entrepreneurs. So entrepreneurial things became yeah. very cool. And so I got to know quite a few of the other people in the same situation. There's a few of us sort of media tarts. Because the thing that I've done is I've never really talked about restaurants and how good the food was and how good the ambience was. I did talk to yeah. the press. Early yeah. on, I discovered if you talk to press about the world and life and everything and what I went through and rock and roll days and all of that, so it's much, much more interesting than how good the food is. Nobody yeah. everybody's going to say that. So I did get a lot of press, and I think I was quite interesting. And, of course, Yo was very um, photogenic. And um, and then this thing, Drag of the Dragon's Den, came up. And, you know, the idea was that you went on and you invested money. And I didn't really have a great deal of money at that time. So I thought, oh, God, I don't know if I want to do that. I fancied the TV exposure. I don't want to do that. And then everybody else got involved in it. Or quite a few people I know, Rich Alnew and you. Did you um, um, what's his name? Scottish. Uh, Duncan Bannertine. I knew him. And he, they all went on it. And I thought to myself man, I think I must have missed, missed an opportunity on this. And um, a lot of them weren't much better off than me. And, um, and then I got a call one day saying, we've just done the pilot, and would you reconsider coming on? Because one of the people has dropped it, we don't think is good enough. Okay. And, would you come? and I, went, I rubbed my hands and I thought, yes, I think I'll consider that. So yeah. I came along and did a test, and that was the rest of his history, really. Yeah. And so I did that first series. And then... Um, yeah, no, it was it was a it was a really good thing. I, I invested in well, I did a couple of things, but I invested in this um, this truffle farm, which never came to anything in the end. So actually, I never made an investment. But years later, I think he's he he. They always used to call me the truffle man because he he <laughs> he worked and invented this thing that he could cha- change mushrooms, uh, you know, into um into into truffles, which are very valuable. And I think I read in the paper a few weeks ago that he actually has done it. You know? right, so, okay. so I, you know, I've no regrets, but uh, good for him. <laughs> and you've been quite vocal about the direction that the show's taken and it changing. Well, um, not really. I mean, I was, I suppose I was, you know, I was always a bit mouthy and I was, I was, um, I told the BBC that it should be an inspiring show because, you know, all these TV shows talk about jeopardy, you know, and I can mm. see it, you know, that everybody, you want things to go wrong and all of that and it makes good television. And I was, my pitch was that, look, inspiration is the new je- jeopardy. I want to inspire people. Yeah, I don't want to, yeah. to, to trip people up all the time. So, um, you know, the, and the BBC, and then when it came to it, they wanted to change the dragons as they went along, as they have done. So um, they dropped me from, from that first one. And I was quite pleased, really, because I'd got everything I wanted to. I'd got some notoriety out of it, and it was a really good platform. Um, um, so that that was what happened. And obviously, you know, it was, it was very good experience TV wise, and so I've gone mm. on to do lots of other things on that. I've always enjoyed those things, but I'm I'm glad looking back that I wasn't just a dragon all those years. And I'm quite glad right. that I was an original dragon, <laughs> one of the original dragons. So my uh, my website uh, these days is uh, author speaker the original productivity ninja. So very the good. original very dragon, very I like good. it. Yeah, we're both originals. Um, I saw a thing on YouTube that you'd done, which was you launching the Yo Home, mm-hmm. and uh, there was this little moment in that video that just made my jaw drop. Mm-hmm. Which, and I'll tell you why it made my jaw drop. It was the moment where uh, you're sat in a bedroom and you press a, you press a button and the bed raises up to the ceiling mm-hmm. and suddenly you've got this amazing living room underneath. And it made my jaw drop for a couple of reasons. One was the amount of times I've walked around my house and just looked at the beds and gone. 
there's just such a like just a waste <laughs> of space here. Uh, so it made my jaw drop from the fact that I'd never gone that next step and thought, okay, what can we do to solve that? And the second thing is just when you think sort of 50 or 100 years ahead, you think, well, that's just so obvious that we should be doing that. And it's one of those um, really neat little design ideas that you think once once that becomes mainstream, everyone will just look back on it and think it was crazy to do anything else. Um, tell me about design and innovation. Like, um, how do you... Uh, I mean, that that requires taking a number of steps forward, not just the next iteration with something. Like, how do you do that? Like, how do you do that uh, thing of just taking 10 or 20 or 100 steps forward in, in the design process of something like that? Well, I mean, I thought you described that very well, actually. And the, 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 I'm always looking for the magic words. And the magic words, I think, are this is so obvious. <laughs> right. Why didn't somebody right. do this okay. before? Yeah. Um, but I'm at my happiest when I have a, you know, I, I draw... And I'm my happiest when I have a piece of paper and I'm drawing up new ideas and going through iterations. And, you know, actually great things are often invented in the minds of one person or possibly two if you have a real meetings of minds. But, yeah. you know, you just live and breathe. And as I, I, I spent, you know, a year developing Yoho and trying out all sorts of different things. And the question was, what would... Um, first of all, I did it with Yotel. Obviously, the hotels are the big thing we've got at the moment. We've, we've got another... I think there's nearly 10 more being built at the moment. And that was wow. how to yeah. make a small room, yeah. but four-star luxury. And the Yo Homes is what will the home of the future be? You know, how are we going to deal with that? How can we make a room change like a transformer in from one bedroom flat to yeah. two bedroom and all of that? Um, and, you know, and I think actually what we're launching in Manchester next year, I hope, will be just the tip of the iceberg and we'll do lots more devices but that mm. the one of making the bed not not a fold-up bed but one where the whole bedroom disappears to the ceiling to um to reveal a sunken sitting room which is what we yeah. always wanted a sunken sitting room um seems to be the thing that really works and why manchester well the, the first one is manchester I, you know the best the best way of doing these things is to do them yourself and not get other people and investors not getting right. bank money yeah. involved and you know manchester yeah. i can build 25 flats with my own cash no problem right you okay. just get it done yeah. there's nobody looking over your shoulder we make the thing happen and all we have to do you know what i think we're good at at the EO company is we're good at having ideas we're good at getting them going we're good at developing and set the whole thing up mm. and i guess we're good at doing this, talking about them, publicizing them. Um, I think what we're probably not good at is operating big property companies around the world. So my aim has always been, you know, sushi, I built it, um, I sold part of it, then I sold all of it, I kept a license fee, yeah. which is obviously is, goes on in perpetuity, and the same with the hotel, and now we're doing the same with the O-Home. So as soon as it's up and running, and we've proved it, yeah. it's much uh, easy to do it. Um, and Manchester's actually pretty cool and hip at the moment yeah, absolutely, as well. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll yeah. stand out big time in Manchester. We'll be a big part of that. Mm. It's a good place for a worldwide launch. And whereas in London, we're disappearing along with about a million other things. So that's the reason for doing it up there. Yeah. Uh, so you're 64 now, right? I am 64, 65 next year. So let's go back to the music theme at the beginning. So the Beatles, when I'm 64, yeah. uh, paints this picture of retirement yeah, and yeah. attending the garden and all that sort of thing. Um, it strikes me that that's not on your radar. It's, well, it's when I was growing up, you see, when I, was, I, grew, I was born in the 50s and grew up in the 60s. And uh, the big milestones ahead when we were kids was 1984, which was George Orwell's book. That seemed like so far in the future. Then the millennium, 2000. Yeah. And then when I'm 64, you right. know, which I've, I've hit now, 65 next year. Um, so what's the question? 
So retirement doesn't seem retirement, to be on your radar. Yeah. And well, how do you yeah, the, the trick, the truth is, I don't have to. Yeah. that's what's really great is I don't have to. But what I can do is I can retire from the anxiety of having to do something. Mm. So, you know, I just started looking earlier this year. You know, because your home is going to go, and I think it'll probably be a success at some level. We'll see what, see how it'll all, all develop. So that'll be three things we've done with Yo Name. We did uh, Yo Below the Bars, and we did Yo Japan, the clothing range, both of which didn't work eventually. Um, who, who knows? We'll maybe do them again. And I've got lots of ideas. So the question really is, um, what are we going to do next with Yo? And how do we do that? Can we do it in a different way rather than spending five, six years developing something and getting it up and running? Can we do it much faster? And how do I suppose, how do we become a new virgin? And can we do that? Mm. And my attitude is, yeah, that's the goal. I'm absolutely clear about that. Do we have to do it? No. But do we want to do it? Yes. Yeah. So um, just really trying to think how we're going to do that. And um, so, and you know what is yo? But you know yo. When 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 yo started, it was you know as I say, we never talked about the food. Um, and you know some of some of our marketing has been pop in and have another bit of sushi, which I'm not very keen on. But um, follow your fear to find your destiny. I think is much deeper and appeals more yeah. deeply to people. So we're really kind of building the yo company now. In fact, I'm going to ask um, this girl to come up called Leah Ditton because she's somebody I've known for 20 years and um, she's about to um, row across the Pacific. Okay. And in a yo-boat, an extremely <laughs> bright and colourful yo-boat with follow your fear to find your destiny written on the side. Amazing. And, um, you know, I think when we started, I've known her and I wanted to help her do that. And I thought, well, okay, well, you know, it's got a metaphor because we lots of our ideas came from Japan and a lot of our businesses are now going into America and she's yeah. going from Japan to America. So that kind of works at that level. But then I realized I've been looking for quite a while now is what can I do in the last 20 years of my life um, to actually, what's my contribution to society, I suppose you could say, because a lot of people say they get to be very happy by doing something like that. And I realized that this row is called Yo Row, yoro.org. <laughs> And I realized that it's not about rowing the Pacific. What it's actually about is inspiring people all over the world to follow us and then go and do things for themselves. Yeah. And I've been involved in all sorts of charities and boards and things. And actually, I hope that this could be the one where we start so Yo becomes inspiration to other people. Mm. And that's what makes it really exciting for me. So this feels like quite a natural break in proceedings as Simon uh, here is just heading off to find Leah and bring her back to introduce her to the podcast as well. And so uh, while that's happening, uh, let me just tell you a couple of other things. So I just had a really great response to the previous episode that we did with Grace Marshall. So if you haven't, in, in, if you haven't listened to that one yet, then uh, that's a really interesting uh, one to go and have a listen to. Uh, for a couple of reasons. Firstly, it's the first one I did with wine, so you can see if that has any bearing on uh, the quality of the conversation or otherwise. Um, and also, a lot of people really um, responded to how candid uh, Grace and I both were at points in that interview, just about our own productivity, foibles and failures and all that, all that sort of thing as well. Um, so yeah, like thank you if you dropped us a line and uh, said nice things about that particular episode. And if you're interested at all in the work that, that Grace and I both do with Think Productive, um, the 
web address is thinkproductive.com or thinkproductive.co.uk. Uh, and as I'm talking to you right now, my WhatsApp is going crazy, uh, saying that I have to go and get in a cab really soon. So I'm going to uh, get straight back into the interview right now. So uh, this was a surprise. I wasn't expecting this. Uh, Simon has just uh, gone off and got Leah. Uh, so let's get back into the conversation. There's now three of us uh, sat in Simon's houseboat having the conversation, uh, Simon, myself and Leah. So let's get back to it. So um, here's Leah. And uh, I just asked Leah to come and sit in because... Um, we were talking about um, what we were going to do next, and I was saying that um, when Leah asked me if I'd be interested in being involved in her rowing across the uh, Pacific, I thought, didn't have to think very long because I thought, well, you know, she's rowing from Japan to America, <laughs> and that's where we're taking Yo. Yeah. And also, I'm very keen on expeditions and nautical things, and it's an incredible challenge. So she's about to do it, and it's, it's been exciting. It's been exciting working together, actually, hasn't it? It has. Yeah. So let's start with why. <laughs> so, so what inspired you around that particular journey and to get you started? It's not a massive shock from the norm. I mean, I'm a licensed captain. I either run boats or I deliver boats. I spend a lot of time at sea. I probably cross an ocean two or three times a year. Right. Okay. So it's not completely abnormal. Um, the part that's a bit wildly different is rowing it yeah. as opposed to say, sailing it. But in 2009, I got a phone call completely out of the blue in the middle of the credit crunch when nobody was hiring sailors and I was asked if I would like to row the Atlantic, which I thought was very funny at the time. But of course, I got sucked into it. I read all of the books about ocean rowing, which at the time was eight. And uh, (laughs) I just couldn't believe that for the most part, people who rowed oceans were wildly inexperienced. Hmm. And I had a lot of experience, and I actually really like it out there. So I rode across the Atlantic, and I wasn't one of those people that was crying to get to the other end. I, it could have taken another 100 days, and I would have been happy as Larry, um, having mental com- communication with whales and fish and all <laughs> sorts of things. So anyway, I'm every other year I'm the safety officer of a race that to Hawaii, which is for ocean rowers. Okay. So I'm very involved now in the ocean rowing community. And for about four years, in back of my my head has been the idea to take on the biggest ocean row there is, which is across the North Pacific. So four years I've been thinking about it. And you know yeah. what? In December last year, I just decided it was time to stop thinking about it and just do it. I guess so, it's one of those things. You could just think about that forever as well, right? Like it could be one of those, you could have that as a, a sort of long-term daydream thing. But what, what inspired you to get to that moment of like, right, I'm actually going to do it this year? Well, I'm not getting thing. any younger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also a woman, and so that that is a bit different. You know, I'm. I would mm, like to okay. have a relationship and a long term relationship and have children, and so I don't think, unlike men in who are also adventurers, you want to be doing that in your late forties, fifties. The first man to row across the North Pacific was forty two when he did it. Right okay. now, if you have a child you're probably not going to want to row across the North Pacific and you probably shouldn't row across the North Pacific. (laughs) (laughs) So it's sort of now. Now is the the time time to do it. That's cool. Um, Can I ask you a really silly question? Where do you sleep? You have have a boat that has a cabin. Okay. So you sleep in, in the cabin. So not for very long, but when because when, when I think of rowing boats, you think of those boats that you see on um, you know like the Oxford and Cambridge row race and stuff <laughs> like that. You think, oh, you're just going to sort of sleep sitting up. So you have a separate sort of section, a cabin where you can go and sleep. Yeah, let me describe the boat. So the yeah. boat's 21 feet long. Okay, it's 
made of of wood, fiberglass, and Kevlar. Kevlar for strength. Yeah. It's got a cabin almost at both ends. One is for storage, and the other is for sleeping. Um, it's not big. I mean, the boat looks like a sort of pill, right. <laughs> and it has a okay. rowing position in the middle. And most of the compartments are for food. I'll be taking six yeah. months worth of food. So I'm basically rowing a boat in which I can sleep and carry six months worth of food. <laughs> and is there another boat somewhere alongside you to keep track of you or anything like that? There is in the races. Yeah, but but not. when but when you're but doing this, it's attempt. just you, just me. Wow. Okay. And I like that. I mean, I yeah. I don't want the interruption of someone checking that on me all the time. You know, I should be able to survive. I've got 150,000 miles of experience. I've I sail the equivalent of eight laps of the globe. I should be a okay. But you know, um, there's a huge element that's out of my hands, and that's yeah. the weather, the ocean. It's I have to listen to the ocean and respond accordingly. Hopefully, that will get me across safely. And do you think you know when you're in when you're in the middle of that is is the important thing just to be in the moment and like I mean, listening to the ocean on the one hand sounds romantic, but on the other hand is like. You know, you like you really have to sense what's going on around you and be totally focused on the now, and yeah. not sort of. I don't listen to music for the first sort of part. Right. I listen to the boat and I listen yeah. to the to the ocean. Yeah. And um, you need to listen to that instinct. If that instinct says, "Do this now, do it now," mm. do not wait. Yeah. Um, for sailing, I have the saying in my head: If you think it, do it. When it comes to reefing, taking sail down. So if if it's time to stop rowing. I must stop rowing yeah. as opposed to waiting. and So it needs to become quite instinctual. And while you sleep, what happens? So you're sleeping, presumably you're not anchored somewhere or are you? Well, there's a sort of ocean equivalent called a sea anchor, which is right. a giant parachute that goes into the water at a length of, I think it's 100 yards of rope. Yeah. So it sort of sinks in. And the idea is it minimizes your drag backwards. Okay. But you will wake up and go, whoa, where am I now? You know, And hopefully you haven't lost all of that <laughs> mileage that you just rode hard to gain. That'd be pretty soul-destroying. Like you wake up and you go, yeah, so a quarter of what I did yesterday has just been eliminated by the weather or something. But like you know that. something, the way she describes it, of course, is it's a great metaphor yeah. for people who are listening today. Absolutely. Because in business, it's exactly what I did. And I, yeah. Leah and I pretty close and you know what we're always aware of is that we've both been through the same sort of yeah. you know tumultuous difficulties and it's enthusiasm and a passion for doing what we want to do mm. as I was talking about earlier that makes it so we're on a very similar trajectory but what we want is that all of your people listening and people around the world as we get more and more publicity for this yeah um, we want you to know, come and come and join us on www.yo row r-o-w dot org and we want to inspire you and we want to hear your stories mm. about what your dreams are and possibly what's stopping you from taking the yeah. first step because as i always say to leah you know we don't have to get across the pacific or we do have to take the right steps in the right order to do that and i mm. said to leah the other day i said you know what do you reckon i think we should have a backup plan if we don't get across the first time and Leah just looked at me and she said you know I do believe because I'm a seafarer first before a rower that we got a 70% chance of getting across the first time but let's make a plan if we have to do it the yeah. second time yeah. which is 100% we're going to do it but Absolutely. yeah, a lot of metaphors for life and for everyone while I'm rowing you know sometimes you're ahead and sometimes you're behind yeah. you just yeah. need to to keep going 
Do and, you, and you know that in the UK, I mean, you've presumably got people all over the world. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. in the UK, we do hold, I've always called it a purse of creativity. You know, we were the great seafarers, mm. uh, more than anybody, actually, more than the Dutch, more than the Italians, more than the Spanish. We were the great seafarers, and we've always been adventurers all the way through, you know, right through from taking music to America and the British invasion and fashion and everything. Mm. And so, you know, to have a... Uh, Leah's actually going to be training out in San Francisco, because it's going to be a very American-orientated row as well as a Brit, British one. But we do have something, and I yeah. think that we've got, you know, we've got the possibility with this Brexit thing as well of um, you know producing a lot of entrepreneurs with great ideas to go out you know if somebody arrived in space from outer space and they said where's all the action been going on the last 500 years and you say it's this little <laughs> island called Britain in the top right hand corner of the Atlantic you know they go what, how is that yeah and you know yeah. I don't know how it is but it is there and you know we're in a good position absolutely and what's your what's your have you got a plan for what you want to do uh, off the back of it afterwards so when you uh, complete the 100% success from the 70% chance whatever like it, um, what's your what's your plan in terms of uh, inspiring people with that and, and what do you want to do following that I want I want to inspire people to to take their big dream and grab it mm. and think how do I do it and then do it wow. it's when I do talks it's a lot of people wait for me at the end and they ask how, how do I do what you do not row an ocean necessarily yeah, but yeah. You know, get a bigger house with a garden or move to France or whatever it is or take the next job opportunity that's higher up the ladder that scares them and all of these things scare us it scares yeah. me and terrifies me in equal measure <laughs> rowing across the Pacific but um, I've decided to grab it I've had the courage to, to, to do it and now I'm training. <laughs> Do you know there's, an, there's yeah. another inspiration that you're going to give people which uh, you maybe don't even realise yet is so many people who listen to this podcast have this real anxiety when they're in a place with no mobile phone reception <laughs> and uh, you're, going to, you're going to be in that place for a long time. And I think, do you think people feel like, uh, I just have to get your perspective on, I feel like people have uh, a real... Um, worry about being alone with their thoughts sometimes we're always, always looking for the things that distract us right and like you are in a, you're going to be in a place where it's just it's going to be you and your thoughts for a long period of time and you've presumably had many periods like that previously like what's your what's your perspective on that and do you have um any you know have you got, got any learnings from that or sort of strategies to cope with the difficult times of that sure i don't think it's entirely just that seed like say this morning i was at the gym I was having a, a training session and you know you get into that mind chatter of going I've had too much you know <laughs> my muscles are complaining and then you go but there's only two left two sets left we can mm. do this Leah and so it's yeah you, it's talking to yourself through these situations yeah you can can actually do a 180 on what you think is is the is the situation but um, you know for your listeners it's the it's this thing of learning to be comfortable with yourself and you know, like I said, follow your fear to find your destiny. Yeah, yeah. And try staying at home. Just try staying at home one weekend. Take the phone off the hook. Stay at home for a whole weekend and don't go out. Mm. And just watch. Be an, a silent observer of your mind. Yeah. And by practicing that, or going to see in 
Leah's case or doing what I do in my case by practicing these things you get better at them mm. it's kind of simple if you want to be a great athlete go and train if you want to be comfortable with yourself go and spend some time on your own even though it's fearful and to you and all that happens is your muscles get stronger you get better at doing it yeah, you start enjoying us. You start time enjoying us. Absolutely. And then you sing. Yeah. That's yeah. what happens next. <laughs> like in the shower, people think they're alone and they, they start it's, singing. It's one of the great realizations of getting older. I'm 65 next year. And, you know, one of the great realizations, okay, you can say I've got some money and all of that, but, you know, it's still difficult being me sometimes. And one of the great realizations is that everything's going to be okay, yeah. even through the harder times. Mm. It's all going to work out. So, and you always look back at the difficult times and say, well, what was all that fuss about at the time? So if you can really get that at a young age, I wish I'd got that younger. Yeah. And I wish that people listening would get that. It's all going to be okay. So it's actually, it's about having good relationships with people as you go along and having lots of energy to do things. And, you know, follow your fear to find your destiny. Yeah, I was doing a talk in, uh, in Calgary, in Canada, a couple of years ago, and I met this really interesting guy after the talk and chatted him for about 20 minutes and didn't really get onto the subjects of kind of what he did. And then he said, here's my card, um, really lovely to meet you. He gave me his card, and I didn't really look at his card. And then I looked at his card about 10 minutes later, and it, it literally had no contact details or even a name on it. It just said, everything is going to be okay, pass it on. Yeah. <laughs> so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. This just always stuck with me. It was a, what, what a lovely thing. Um, and the final thing I have to ask you, uh, Lee, before you go, is when you do sing in the middle of the ocean, what do you sing? <laughs> I'm not sure I want to reveal that. <laughs> but I am going to say that I am going to have singing lessons because <laughs> my repertoire is quite limited. Not right. to improve my sound, but because, you know, it'd be nice to know the words to whole songs. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, you can make up the words and just be, them be the sort of babble bits and like. Oh, I do. It, you, like, it doesn't matter, <laughs> right? Does. So it can be the, the imperfect version that, that you like, yeah. But. Yeah, I was looking yesterday at the music I listened to in the last crossing, the row that is across the Atlantic, and it was a lot of stuff like you only live twice. (laughs) (laughs) And real, you know, beautiful you are. I mean, I'd never listen to that normally, but just, you know, you go go do it stuff. Yeah, give yourself that motivation. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, great to meet you. And yeah, just wish you all the luck in the world with it. It sounds like it's going to be an amazing thing. Thanks, Leah. Um, so just a couple of things just before we finish then so um, I'd love to ask you a little bit about mentoring Um, you've been involved in a couple of mentoring schemes and uh, I heard you say somewhere that you see it as a very important thing that um, entrepreneurs should do more of uh, just you know giving advice giving motivation giving uh, a steer to people I don't know I don't know what other people should do I wouldn't dare to tell them but I like to um, be available to people and that all came from me I promised myself when I was first starting Yo Sushi and you'd make calls and people wouldn't even return the calls mm. and they wouldn't give you the time of day. I remember promising myself that if ever I got rich and famous that I would absolutely return people's calls. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I still do it to this day and I've managed to do that. And, um, you know, it's very valuable. And of course, it's very good for the brand because everybody says, oh, well, he's a good guy and it goes out and it's, you know, it's all reflected back. And so it works really well. But, um, um, yeah, no, I like I like to, to reach out and help people. Yes, I do. And what's the? I mean, I suppose because I mean, I'm someone who's very similar in that respect. Mm. You know, if, if people email me, I'll always email yeah. back and and so on. And I like to. I think there's just 
I mean, you have you have a choice about whether you're going to be nice or whether you're going to be not nice, and it just seems like the most obvious choice to make to, to be nice. And I wonder sometimes why more people don't do that. But like, I suppose in your position, you must get a, a lot more of those emails than I would, and you will have more uh, pressure on your time. So how do you square that circle? And you know, do you have a sort of way of dealing well, I, with that? I'm good at it. I'm good at yeah. it. I've, you know, I've learned how to say no. Um, and I've learned to respond quickly and um, hopefully, and you know, there's a lot, a lot of people I stay in touch with over yeah. the years. It's good. It's good. So, it's so I suppose the ethos there is like, I'll make, I'll make sure I respond and I'll make sure I'll be polite, but it doesn't mean I have to say yes to everything along the way. Definitely not. No, yeah. I say no to a lot of stuff. Yeah. But I'm always really straightforward to people. And you know, the, the thing that people always say, and I, I'm the same, thank you so much for telling me straight, you know. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I just do, don't do certain things. People, oh, can you introduce me to so-and-so? No, never, ever. Um, <laughs> you know, but not unless I'm really involved with something in a yeah. way. But I'm always trying to help. And what do you, do you have a, a sort of idea in mind now for what does an ideal, you know, day or week or month look like? I mean, do you have a sort of design around your lifestyle in that? In well, that variety. You know, I've got a, I've got a sailboat and I'm just actually just got a smaller sailboat because I want to sail it myself without any crew. Um, and uh, my girlfriend lives in Tahiti. So, I, you know, I'm back supportive there a bit, although she spends an awful lot of time over here. And um, I got a family, so I'm just always off on adventures, really. And I try mm. to mix everything in together. You know, I'm off to San Francisco to help Leah out there, and then yeah. we'll go, go go down to Tahiti, and then my boat's been built in Chile, and then we've got a hotel in New York, and we've got another one opening. You know, so yeah. um, you know, I I I kind of move around, and um, you know, but what I try to do it these days is not to run anything yeah you know to get good people around and then my little secret is let other people do things their way not my way but try to get people mm. on the same a meeting of minds so that we've all got the same vision yeah. and then we try and do things together and it seems to work and are there moments where you you know like so you've got all this travel and, and, and you know and lots of variety going on are there moments where you do feel like you're getting sucked back into that day to day or, or where the no, people who are running businesses need I'm you pretty, more I think I'm pretty good yeah. you know, I think I'm pretty good and I you know I don't I don't fill up my diary with meetings and um, you know that good question people always say how are you doing are you busy and <laughs> right, I always yeah. go no you know yeah, uh, I, you know, I get things done, but I'm not too busy, and I don't try not to put meetings in. And people say, "Oh, I just want to have a coffee with you." I, I say, "Well, look, I'm on the phone now. Let's have a chat." <laughs> you know? So you don't have to have a super busy diary. Try and keep it yeah. a bit freer. You get more done, but more achieved. Yeah, which is obviously music to my ears. Having titled this podcast "Beyond Busy," and yeah. the yeah, I think the terminology around busy and it being a badge of honor mm. is is actually a very destructive thing I think you know, so. for business and I agree. Uh, and obviously that's not you know you you deliberately trying to not be busy is not stopping you from from achieving those things um, did is that something that you always knew or did that come to you much later just the idea of, of that well uh, I learned it because um, after Yo Sushi and sort of midway through Yotel I was and after Dragon's Den I was doing so many speaking engagements I was and mm. I really enjoyed doing it you know I loved going appearing on stage and traveling around the world doing more of that um, and um, I just said right I'm going to stop doing them and now I, I do a few still but um, I stopped doing them and it completely cleared out my diary because it, right. really, it, yeah. it completely ruled my diary and then I got to be free and I like that freedom to be able to 
do things. I'm, you know, now I sort of put other things in my tarry ahead, but I'm, I'm reasonably free. Yeah. Nice at my age. Cool. And is there something that you um, would really like to do that you, uh, that's kind of on the on the bucket list, if you like, in terms of business or in terms of life? There isn't really. I mean, the the thing that I would like to do is to give some make some kind of, uh, you know leave a legacy of so having given something back mm. and see and there's lots of people who call me up and say it's so good that you helped them that and I thought of all sorts of things but I hopefully that, that this will come out of Leah's row is this idea of inspiring people around the world and we can formalise it more using yeah. the foundation called the O Foundation so that we actually eventually will give grants to it we will actually maybe have a school for people who inspire mm. how to get going like people have school for startups, school for inspiring you know just just see, see where it goes. I don't know the answer yet, but it feels yeah. like it's on the right track. And I think we will do, yo, hopefully will be in other things. Probably not too many, not like Virgin <laughs> in 200 or Easy doing everything, but just one at a time. We'll just slowly build the yo brand. Because when you really think about brands that are in like Virgin or Easy, there's very few people have used the same brand name in lots of different things. It's quite surprising, yeah. really. Yeah. So I think it's a really good space to, to, to get started in. Yeah, and I'd love to just hear you finally just articulate what you feel the Yo brand stands for. Like, I, you know, I have ideas in my head, but I'd love yeah. to just hear it Well, from I you. think, you know, a lot of these brands, they stand for the same thing, which is, which Yo is definitely, it's young, it's yeah. cheeky, it's bold, yeah. it's all of that. But what I think we really stand for is one, innovation. Yeah. And, um, you know, I hope that when we go into a different a field, people will go, oh, yo, how are you? Tell, oh, I've got to see what that's like. Mm. That's going to be different. So it's innovation in that sense. And secondly, um, the way I always describe it is it gives to everybody what rich people have. <laughs> and it's probably not that's everybody, nice. but it gives to an yeah. awful lot more people what rich people have. And so, you know, um, you know, it's good. It's really good value for money. But, you know, it's not super cheap, but it's really good value for money. And uh, to do that, you have to have a kind of quantum leap in your thinking. You know, yeah. so the hotels are very small rooms, but with four-star luxury in them. And the airports, the windows look onto the corridor. If yeah. I've done market research, you want to sleep in a um, hundred square foot room with no natural light. People are going to say no. When people walk in, they said, what are those magic words I said, which is, this is so obvious. Why didn't see somebody <laughs> do this before? And the same with your homes. And so that's what I hope Yo stands for. Cool. Well, it's just been really inspiring chatting to you. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me here to your boat uh, here in Chelsea. And Simon Woodruff, thank you so much. So that's it for Simon and Leah. I hope you enjoyed that one. And uh, thanks firstly to Simon for uh, agreeing to uh, host me and being such a great guest. And good luck to Leah with uh, your very, very... Uh, crazy sounding mission I'm uh, just really in awe of uh, what you're doing there and uh, just wish you the best of luck with it so good luck Leah Um, if you want to find out more then please go to getbeyondbusy.com there you'll find links to all the previous episodes and links to all the stuff that we talked about uh, during the conversation here uh, and lots more other stuff as well Um, thank you also as ever to Mark Steadman my podcast producer from Bloomsbury Digital and if you want to find out more about my work, it's thinkproductive.com, thinkproductive.co.uk. And the book, as if you didn't know by now, is How to Be a Productivity Ninja. So that's it for this episode. And in two weeks' time, we have a really interesting conversation. It's Gerald Ratner, 
um, formerly of Ratner's, the jewelers, and um, very high profile business figure talking a lot about um, rising and falling, failures and successes. A really great conversation. Can't wait to bring that one to you. Uh, so that will be out in two weeks' time. Until then, thanks again for being here on Beyond Busy, being part of this little project of mine. I hope you're enjoying it, and I'll see you very soon. Bye.